Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. Here's what's happening at Gateway Community Church. The holiday season may be over, but we still have one more gift for you. Right Now Media gives you access to free Bible studies and video content for you, your family, and even your small group. Go online and create your account today. Deeper Weekend for Students is coming up soon. This in-town weekend retreat is a time for them to go deeper in their faith. Sign your students up now and let us know if you'd like to host a group in your home. We are currently gearing up for our upcoming church-wide experience, MOVE, Study and James Together. Listen closely because this is very important. Join a MOVE group. Starting on January 28th, we will be starting a six-week series on the book of James. It is important that you join a MOVE group in order to follow along in the study. MOVE group signups begin on January 21st. Go to the Next Steps area or go online to join a group. If you are interested in hosting a MOVE group, orientation dates are on January 14th and January 21st. We are excited to see what God has in store for us in the study of James. Some final dates to keep on your radar is Super Bowl Sunday on February 4th and a night of worship with baptisms on February 9th. Those are perfect days to invite a friend, so mark your calendars and we hope to see you there. Stay up to date with the latest news in your bulletin or visit our website at gateway-community.org. Thank you for being here and welcome to your journey. Today about is one, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the background of the book. I'm gonna spend a little bit of time talking about some of the themes or things you can expect to find inside of the book. And then thirdly, where I'm gonna spend most of my time is talking about why we chose this book and why it's so important. Um, you know, whenever you start studying a new book of the Bible, a great place to start is looking at who the author is. Um, and when you look at James and any other book in the New Testament, you can kind of get a hint of who the author is by the title of the book. So Matthew is called, or the most, the author of Matthew is Matthew. The book of Luke, the author is Luke. And James, the author of James, is James. Um, but there are many people named James in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament. You have James, the brother of Jesus. You have James, the son of Zebedee. You have James, the brother of Jude, and James, the father of Judas. So which James was the author of this book? And while we don't have 100% certainty on who the author exactly was, from all the research and dates and things that we do have, it seems that it is James, the brother of Jesus. But most people think James only had one brother. When in reality, he had several siblings. James had, uh, Jesus had James, he had Joseph, he had Simon, and he had Jude. And Jesus also had a few sisters that we're not sure their names or how many of them there were. And then when people hear that, okay, Jesus had a pretty big family, normally what they want to know next is, well, how did they respond to what he did? How did they respond to all his miracles and teachings and all the different times that he spent with sinners and the people that everyone looked down upon? How did his family respond? I mean, they spent more time with him than anyone else. They grew up with him. They were with him all the time. They were his family. 
So how did they react to what Jesus started doing? If you look at John chapter 7, it tells you. In John chapter 7, it says that they did not believe in him. So Jesus' own family, who grew up with him and knew him better than most, it says they did not believe in him. And when you hear that, you're like, how is that possible? How could someone who grew up with him, who was his family, and James, James included, how could he not believe in what Jesus was doing? And I think a question that's even more important than that, than that is this. How did James go from an unbelieving brother to the most likely writer of a book of the New Testament? And if you go through the rest of the New Testament, you see that James isn't just the brother of Jesus, but that he was respected by elders of the church, that he became a leader of the church of Jerusalem, that he got to know the apostles and personally met with Peter and Paul himself. So how did James go from unbelieving brother to the leader of the Jerusalem church? And while the Bible doesn't give us the exact moment or say this is what made him change, I think there is a moment in Scripture that if, Jesus hadn't, if James hadn't already started believing in Jesus' ministry, there's no doubt in my mind that this was the moment that he did. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is speaking, and he, at the very beginning of verse 7, he just gives us something that you can just quickly go by, but right there I think he gives us this information that's vital in understanding Jesus and James and who they were together. And we see in verse 7 that it says, and he, speaking of Jesus, appeared to James and to all the apostles. And lastly, as one untimely born, he appeared to me as well. And I think what's so interesting about that is that Jesus died. He came back from the dead, and he went out of his way to visit his brother. And when James encountered Jesus this time, he wasn't the same as he was before. He was different, and that being different is a big part of what the book of James is about. Because you see, the book of James is unlike any other book in the entire New Testament. It's not like the other letters that you'll find. It's not like the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's different because James has a singular focus. And that focus is he desires for the readers to become wise. But he doesn't want them to become wise in understanding deep theological concepts. He wants them to gain wisdom on what it means to live. Because James understood that even though Jesus came and taught all of these parables and teachings, that people were still going to struggle with, well, how do I apply what Jesus taught and did to my everyday life? And so when you look at the book of James, it's very similar to maybe an Old Testament book that y'all may know called Proverbs, 
where in Proverbs it will say something like this, this is what a foolish man does, what a wise man does this. And so James is trying to show the readers this is how you're supposed to walk with him and this is how you're supposed to live. But you know, um, James is only five chapters. That's it. And so James can't possibly touch on every single thing that we're going to go through on this walk. He's not going to be able to touch on everything that we're going to struggle with or every encounter that we may go through. But he does touch on a lot of important themes or aspects that I think are more applicable today than ever. And I think if you hear them, you realize these are things that we all go through. And so as we go through these next six weeks, and as you open up the book of James and read it for yourselves, you're going to encounter many of these different topics and themes. So let me just tell you a few of them so you can be familiar and expect that as you read through it, you'll see these come up. And when you open up the book of James, you'll see that it starts with this idea of suffering. But he says that we're supposed to find joy in our suffering. But he doesn't just say how we're supposed to find the joy. He also talks about why. He then talks about wisdom and whom we're supposed to ask wisdom from, but also the manner in which we're to do so. He talks about the relationship between faith and works and how it's not about choosing one or the other, but he talks about how they're supposed to come together and be one. He talks about favoritism and he talks about the dangers of treating one person better than another. He talks about quarrels and arguments and he talks about the source where do those quarrels and arguments come from? He talks about the tongue and how it can be used to harm others and what we're supposed to do about it. And then he also talks about prayer and he lifts up the value and the importance of prayer. Those are just a few of the things that as we go through the book of James together, and as we read it for ourselves, that you can expect to see in that book. But you know, um, we could have chose any book to study. There's many books we could have chosen, and we could, we could have chosen any of them. But we settled on James. We decided we wanted to go through James together. Why? We chose James because this year we're trying to have a renewed emphasis on being a disciple and what that looks like. And after this six-week study, we're going to have a class that we offer. That we'll offer multiple times, but you need to only go to it once. And it'll talk about what it looks like to be a disciple and what that really entails and means for us. And while I'm not going to be going through that whole class today, what I'd like to do is just give you a glimpse, just a very small look at what being a disciple is. So that whenever you hear the word disciple, you can kind of think about these verses and what this means. So you have a picture to go with what a disciple is. And in your notes, I have several different verses that you can look at, but I'm only going to really focus on one. And I think it's a very powerful 
verse on discipleship. But if I was to give discipleship a definition, I would say a disciple is someone who has a master and who seeks to look to him and wants to be like him or imitate him. And as Christians, we're servants, and we serve our master who is Jesus. And we're supposed to look to him, see what he does, how he does it, and seek to imitate him. And in Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, Jesus does a really great job of showing us what imitation looks like. And so in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, it says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here Jesus is telling us two very important truths. But before we can get to what those two truths are, we need to understand why is Jesus talking about this yoke? Why does he bring this up? And many of us know that a yoke is a wooden or metal structure that goes on the shoulders or necks of two animals so that they can work together to accomplish a common goal or purpose. But a yoke is also used for something else. Because you see, when you have a newborn ox or bull, it learns how to eat by watching its mother and father. It learns how to behave and what to do by being in the herd. But how do you teach an animal to do something unnatural, such as to work for man? And that's where the yoke has proven to be useful, where you take this inexperienced animal that's young and you pair them or yoke them with an experienced animal that's lived life, that knows what needs to be done and how to do it. I think what Jesus is trying to show us here are these two things, is that we're not in this alone. That he says he'll come alongside us, that he'll carry the burden with us, and that he'll always be there so we always have someone we're with. But remember, Jesus is not saying he's there to just drag us along, that we have a part to play as well, and that is we're supposed to look to him to see what he did, how he did it, and we're supposed to seek to imitate him. A disciple is someone who seeks, strives, and desires to imitate his master. But you may think, what does discipleship what does being a disciple have to do with the, book of with the book of James? It has to do with the book of James because James is trying to tell his readers this is what it looks like to live a life devoted to him. This is what it looks like to imitate and to do what Jesus lived out in his life. And you know, when I start talking about imitation or trying to be more like Christ, I get one of two opposite responses. I get one where someone says, man, I'm excited. 
I, I want to try to be more like Christ. I want to start living for him. I, I want to do that. But I also sometimes get this other response where someone hears that we're trying to be more like Christ. And they say, I can't do it. I can't be like him. I made too many mistakes. I've done too many bad things. There's things that I could, I don't even know where to start. I, my past, I'm so entrenched and addicted to sins and my old way of life that I don't even know how to get started. There's no way this is for me. I can't do it. And if that's you, you're wrong. You're wrong. Because we don't think of things the right way so often. We think of really holy and righteous and perfect people in the Bible. And so often, people like Moses or maybe David comes to mind. And when we think of David, he's this king, and he's so holy and righteous, we think, that that's why God said he's a man after God's own heart. That's what they say of David. We're like, that could never be me. I could never be someone after God's own heart. And the thing is, um, you know, David was not really that great of a guy that often. In fact, he did some pretty terrible stuff. David ruled a nation and almost brought it into complete destruction. He directly disobeyed God on what to do with the ark and someone died because of it. He was a terrible father. He was a terrible husband. He took another man's wife and when he thought he would get caught, he had that person murdered and other people died because of it. And then when people hear that, they think, well, how could someone that did all those things murder? How could someone who did all that be called a man after God's own heart? How's that even possible? Here's how it is. David was not called a man after God's own heart because he was so perfect. Or because he never did anything that bad. Or because he just happened to do a lot more good than he did bad. David was called a man after God's own heart because he wanted to do the Lord's will, but also because he did something that many of us refuse to do. And that is every time that he made a mistake or he did something that was wrong or he disobeyed God or said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Every time he didn't do what was right, he came to God and said, I'm sorry, and I want to turn back to you. I want to come back to you. He would ask for forgiveness. He would say, I don't want to live this way anymore. And while there were always consequences for what he did, God was always there saying, just come back to me. And David would always say, I'm ready to come back. I don't know if you've ever turned to the Lord. I don't know if it's just been a long time. It doesn't matter which one it is. What matters is that we're willing to say, I want to come back to you. I've made mistakes. I'm sorry. 
And I want to be with you. I want to start following you. I want to start seeking to live a life devoted to another. God knows we're going to make mistakes and do things that aren't right. But what he wants most of all is for us to just turn back to him. You know, there's a lot of things that we want for y'all in this study. We want y'all to come on Sundays and, and learn. We want you, we need hosts. We would love for y'all to sign up to be a host. We want you to get in biblical community with others. We want you to read the devotional that we have and learn from that and spend time with God with that. But you know what we want more than anything else? More than all of those things. What we want more than anything else is for you to just read God's word. You want you to open up his word in the morning, to open up the book of James and say, what does God have to say to me? And read his word so that we're all doing it together. But remember, reading his word isn't enough. There has to be action after. You know, one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible is a story about a king named Josiah. In this story, Josiah is leading the Israelites and they're doing almost everything wrong they possibly could. And then they find God's word that had been lost. And when he reads it, in 2 Kings chapter 23, when he reads it, he decides to do something. And while I'm going to be reading a couple of verses, after this, we'll end. So in 2 Kings chapter 23, in verse 1, this is what Josiah decides to do. Then the king sent and gathered to him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people entered into the covenant. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for Asherah and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priest whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah in the surrounding area of Jerusalem. All those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, and to the moon, and to the constellations, and to all the hosts of heaven. He brought out the Asher from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook of Kidron, and burned it at the brook of Kidron, and ground it to dust, and threw its dust on the graves of the common people. He also broke down the house of the male cult prostitutes, 
which were in the house of the Lord, where the women were weaving hangings for Asherah. And then we skip to verse 15. Furthermore, the altar that was at Bethel in the high place which Jeroboam, the son of the bed who made Israel sin, had made even that altar. In the high place he broke down. Then he demolished its stones and ground them to dust and burned the Asherah. Now when Josiah turned, he saw the graves that were there on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones of the graves and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the words of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these things. Then he said, what is this monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the grave of the man of God who came to Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. He said, let him alone. Let no one disturb his bones. So they left his bones undisturbed with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. And then verse 24, Moreover, Josiah removed the medians and the spirits and the teraphim and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might confirm the words of the law of the, of the, written in the book of Hilkiah, the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. He found the book of God, and when he read it, he realized that the life he was living and the life that all his people under him were living wasn't right. And he made the decision that I want to start living for him again. I want to make things right. Josiah, not the priests, not the elders, Josiah made the choice that we're going to do what's right and we're going to start living for him. Over the next six weeks, you'll read the book of James and you might find things you realize, that's not me. That's something I need to change. That's a sin I still struggle with. That's something I need help with. And it's not just about reading it. It's about realizing that you have to make a choice not the pastor, not your spouse, not your parents. You have to make the choice yourself. Am I just going to read God's word? Or when I encounter something in it, am I going to make the choice to do something about it? I hope that as we go through these next six weeks, that we'll all together make the choice to be like Josiah to read God's word together and then decide to live for him. Uh, at the end of the service, we'll have prayer partners that come down here. We'd love to pray with you. I'll be out there, over there on the right. Um, I'm excited about this study. I'm excited for us to go through God's word together. And I hope you are too. Let me pray. And dear God, I just uh, thank you for your word. I thank you for its power. I thank you for its ability to uh, encourage us. 
It's an ability to be like a good friend where it encourages us and comes alongside us and shows us the right path and what to do. But it's also like a friend where it shows us where we're getting off the path, where it seeks to bring us back on so that we can seek to be like you. Um, I thank you for this study. I thank you for everyone here. And uh, I just ask that you're just with us as we go through the study and read the book of James together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.